We've been talking a lot about these giant crowds that Jesus was gathering to him. That he would go out and teach and he would go out and speak. And as we talked about these giant crowds, I started thinking about something. In the day of Pentecost, after Jesus was crucified and buried, and after he had resurrected, and he got, went out and he met with other people and he was seen by other people, and then he ascends into heaven. Before he ascended, he told his disciples to go and pray, to go and wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit had come upon him. And Acts says something very interesting about that. It says that there were about 120 of them in the room. And we come from these moments of huge teaching. I mean, there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. And this is just a few instances. How many people heard Jesus speak? How many people showed up in these different events? Yet we come to the end and there's 120 in a room. For some, that could be disheartening. For some, that could be a struggle. I would even venture to say that today is an interesting day as we begin uh, this new season uh, with our church having two different services. That some of you, you look around and you don't see the same faces that you're traditionally used to seeing. You see a few more empty seats, but part of the reason you see those empty seats is because some people will be here later. But I don't want you to look at these things and say, what happened? What happened? God is in those small things. God is in those small times. In that upper room with 120, the relationships that they were able to develop, the prayer time that they had, how rich was it to be able to hear the multiplicity of voices as they called out to God, each individual in its own turn. They were able to go in deep because at this particular moment, they were still small, they were still hidden. There was just a seed of the church. But in those big crowds, Jesus is teaching a tremendous amount of parables. He's, he's teaching, and what uh, we see in Scripture is that there's about 30 different parables that Jesus teaches during this time. And he's teaching these parables so that people would be able to get the concepts that he's bringing this, this new concept of the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom in itself is not necessarily new. They had been a kingdom. They had had kings. They had had good kings, and they had a lot of bad kings. But they understood the concept of the kingdom, but they had been, it had been a long time since they had experienced having their own kingdom. At this point, they have been exiled. At this point, they have been in ruin. They have been subjugated for hundreds of years, and Jesus is beginning to awaken these things. He's beginning to, to kind of rouse them to understand what's happening. And as we acknowledge this reign of Jesus and observe his life in the past couple of weeks, we looked, to the, we looked at the actions toward the calling of God on us uh, to join him in this work on earth, but he is showing, and he was showing us how to do it, and he also used that to create community to let us know that we can't do this alone. We're not designed to do this thing alone. There are a lot of people who may feel like, oh, I, I can just read the Bible by myself, and that's fine. Well, God created us to be in community. And Jesus goes through these things, teaching through his actions and teaching through his philosophy, teaching in these large groups. 
and he's rousing them to remember that God created them and covenanted with them for more than what they were currently doing. Jesus is driving home the impact of the kingdom of God, that light impacts everything, His, and it has value to all who are around it. The kingdom is also responsive to your input, to what you are pushing towards it, and it is a gift of those who are faithful, to those who are faithful that God will bring it through to, to, to its fruition. And it may start out small, but it will turn into much. The kingdom of God is a difference maker. The kingdom of God is impactful. But the thing I want you to, to hear, it's a statement, it's a, it's a saying that a friend of mine, Pastor John Watkins, uh, he says, and he actually said it to me last week. He said, the kingdom always looks like the king. And Jesus is that king. And so he is setting out for them an understanding of what the kingdom of God actually looks like. You've seen the kingdom under David. You've seen the kingdom under Saul. You've seen the kingdom under Solomon. You've seen the kingdom under Jehoiakim. You've seen the kingdom under all of these. But let me set it straight exactly what the kingdom of God is. Jesus, he makes the difference. So we'll look at Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25, and I'm going to read this first parable. Now, as I was mentioning, Jesus talked in parables. He spoke about 30 of them, and we're going to analyze three. Now, it's not necessarily that he taught these three in succession. Mark is just giving us these three along with some others. And so we'll take it chunk by chunk. In 21, it says, and he said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? and not on a stand. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is illuminating, and he's priming them in this moment to understand the value of what he is saying. And as I mentioned last week, that the secret of the kingdom of God is Jesus himself. He is the secret to the kingdom of God. If you don't know Jesus, then you will have an impossible time trying to understand the concepts of the, thing, of the kingdom of God, because the kingdom is his. And as the book of John says it like this, that Jesus is the light, and in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. One of the things I love about Scripture is that early on in the book of Genesis, Scripture separates light from the sun. God says, let there be light before he actually creates the sun, and there are so many uh, ancient um, civilizations that created these gods that worshipped the sun because they thought the sun was the source of light. They thought the sun was the, the only source of the things that they needed, but God had already laid out that that's not the light. It may utilize the light. It may give off the light because that's what I created it for, but it is not light. It is not the light, and now we understand that. The sun is not well, I mean, with the windows it is, but not necessarily in this room. If Scripture would have said something to the effect of the sun was created and light came into existence, then we would have had some, some issues because now we have light bulbs. 
And those light bulbs create light. So I want you to understand that scripture was laid out in a way that continues to show itself faithful. God brought light into our world to break us out of the, out of the chaos of darkness. Jesus says that the light brings the hidden things, the secret things, out into the forefront. And Jesus, when he enters your life, will illuminate the stuff that you didn't necessarily want him to. Jesus will pull back all the curtains and show all the cobwebs in the corner, and he'll show the dust underneath the rug, and he'll show the clothes in the midst of the closet. Jesus is not interested in just a light view. He illuminates every portion of your heart. And as we talked about in the, the, the parable of the soils, Jesus is the one that is illuminating whether your heart is hard, whether your heart is stony and filled with other things, whether you're so caught up with all the other things of this world that there are thorns and thistles that are not allowing the word to take root in your heart. Jesus is illuminating all of those things in you. He is opening up who we truly are. He's not interested in the light renovation, but he wants to break us down and make us new. And all things he makes new. In verses 23 through 25, he says, he gives us this reference of input and output. What measure you meet, what measure you use, what he's saying is, I want you to pay attention. I want you to listen. I want you to understand what I'm trying to do. And if you lean in, if you press into this, and you'll get something special in return. But if you're content with, with, with just being uh, known as a Christian, with just that first day, if you're content with that, that's all you'll have. And if you don't even acknowledge that first, then this life will be taken from you because you won't understand how to live this life. Remember, Jesus is that life. And he is showing us how to live that life. Well, what happens if you don't have Jesus? If you don't have Jesus, this stuff starts to fall apart. It doesn't make sense. Without Yahweh, there's so much of community that doesn't make sense. We look out into even the natural world and we see that there are animals who, they don't stick around with each other. How does that work in the human context? Well, we see that when marriages fall apart, that the family is hurt. The family is broken. There's, uh, there's, there's uh, damage that happens year after year, generation after generation. When there's spite brother to brother and sister to sister and, and siblings, when they're falling apart, the family struggles. But God is saying that we can be together. We should be together. So what measure are you bringing into your Christian faith? What are you... Uh, giving in to understanding the Lord. There are some who, when they're first saved, they get so excited about their faith and they start running and doing all kinds of, they're gonna go buy a Bible and they're gonna go talk to this person and they're gonna go into 19 different life groups and they just, I just wanna be around people. I just wanna, and that's awesome. But then there's a season where, uh, I gotta find other things to do in my life. There's a, th there's a season where the, the things of this world start to become more important to them. What does it take to actually read this Bible? 72 hours. It takes 72 hours to read the Bible cover to cover. Now that's just to read the Bible. Now what does it take to actually know the Bible? Now you may read the Bible, but then you need to spend some time actually having conversation with others and life group and pastors and, and people who are in your life, and you might invest that time. 
You might get into a life group on a Monday or a Wednesday or a Tuesday or whatever, and you get a chance to invest that. What measure you meet, God will meet you there. Or maybe you want to press in even further and you decide that I want to learn the biblical languages so that I can go to the original documents and read it in Hebrew and read it in Greek and read it in Aramaic so that I might understand, God, I want to press in even further. And I, I would venture to say that if you pressed in even further, God would still meet you there. God will meet you in your desire for him. If you decided to press through in prayer, yes, we pray before service. That's 15, 20 minutes for some, but can you spend a whole day in prayer? Can you come out on Wednesday and spend hours in prayer laying before him? Would you press in? What measure you meet, he will meet you in that. But if you don't desire him at all, even what you do have will be squandered. Even what you do have will be snuffed out. Why? Because like he said before, the seed comes on that hard ground, and who comes to take it? Satan comes to take it. That if you show, I don't want God, I don't want to be receptive to his seed, I don't want to be receptive to his word, Satan will come and take that right out your life. And you will not be able to bear fruit for him. So Jesus is giving us this, 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 this hard teaching and slapping his hands together to say, pay attention to what I'm saying to you now. What measure you have decided what measure have you decided to give to knowing Jesus? The deeper you go, the greater you will understand. But Jesus doesn't stop at the parables about commitment to the kingdom. Jesus also talks about sustained faithfulness to the kingdom. And there are some who have the initial drive, but they start to peter out. They start to, to let go of that. Judas walked with Jesus for three years. He listened to him for three years. He saw him do miracles. Judas was one of the ones who he sent out two by two. But one day Judas, Judas said, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I need some money. I need some status in this world. I'm, 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 not, I'm not continuing on in this. When you look at it from that perspective, it's a little bit tough to, to, tough to take. Because there have been times in my life where I've heard people say, and I've even ventured to, to think for myself, does it take all that? Does it take all that, Peter? Does it take all of that? Andrew, does it take all of that? And Judas thought, no. And there might be some of us in here who have walked out this Christian life, and then you come into this, this, this hardship, you come into this, there are things in this world that I want to pursue more than I want to press into this text, and so you start to back away. I'd rather pursue the things of this world. I'd rather pursue the things of my flesh than to pursue the things of God. What's interesting is that the work that Jesus calls us to do is just being faithful and committed. There are a lot of us who are looking for the specific call. Jesus wants you to be a cashier for him. Jesus wants you to be a street sweeper for him. Jesus wants you to be a, uh, an actor, a recording artist. Jesus wants you to be these things for him. Jesus just wants you to be faithful and committed to him. That's what he's looking for, faithful and committed. So that not after one year or two years or three years, but for however long he calls you, 
that you would be found faithful, that you would be found present. And how do we see that? We see that in 26 through 29. And he says, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if, as, as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. In this particular parable, we are the farmers, we are the sowers, and we are sowing the seed, and that's pretty much where it leaves us to go out and be sowers of the seed. And it says, and then he goes to sleep. And night and day comes. And God is doing this phenomenal work in the ground. God is doing this phenomenal work, growing things. Now here's the thing, honestly, I am not the greatest gardener or uh, plant person um, in the world. I'm probably somewhere towards the bottom. I've been trying for about five years to keep this fig plant alive that a friend gave to me. And technically, it's, it, thank you, honey. Technically, it's still alive. But I don't know what to do with this thing. I, I, I wipe off the leaves. I've learned that, that they have these big, beautiful leaves, and you know, you gotta clean off the leaves so that way they can do their thing, the photosynthesis and all that great stuff. Uh, you can't overwater them, you can't touch them, you can't turn them, you can't talk to them, you can't... There's a lot of things you can't do with fig plants that I thought this thing was just going to be easier for me to jump into, and it's been very hard. I say, but the reality of it is the more I leave it alone, the more it grows. The more I don't interject myself into its existence, the more it grows. And that's what I'm seeing here in this text. God said, just, just toss the seed out. He says that one plants, one waters, but he provides the increase. Those first leaves sprout up out the ground, not because I was trying to make room for it, but because God is doing this work. And inside of your life, the desire for me is only to plant the seed so that God will do a work in your life. And it says, and in the end, when harvest has come, then I come back in and I get to say, hey, there are Christians, those who love you. And it's not because of my work. It's because of his faithfulness. It's because of his goodness. Now here, let me pass that on to you. You are the ones who are to go out into the world and to spread that seed and to share that word. And as you spread that seed and share that word, it's not your job to force people to grow. It is the work of the Lord in their hearts. You spread that seed. You be faithful to God. You show up. You be committed. And when the harvest comes, you celebrate. You rejoice in him. Amen? That's what God calls us to. If we are faithful, God will make us fruitful. And this is faithful over time. I'm growing as a leader. I'm not complete as a leader. It takes time to get to know how to lead well. It takes time to get to know how to be a parent well. I would venture to say that my youngest son, Alex, got a better version of me as a father than my 25-year-old son, Chris. 
Chris was getting the first version. Alex is getting version 5.0. And I thank God that his love covers a multitude of sins. And I think that's the case with all of us. If we put on this mindset that as we are growing as a people, growing more faithfully in love with him, growing more desirous of him, his love will cover a multitude of sins. Which leads us to our final parable. And he said in verse number 30, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? And what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground, it is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now there's some question about it, uh, whether Jesus meant to say uh, the smallest of all seeds, because he would have known that that's not the smallest of all seeds, but it would have been a common seed. It would have been a seed that is uh, used in that area and probably one of the smallest that they would have planted, that they would have cultivated. But what Jesus is trying to draw on more than anything else is, I want you just to get this, this, this idea in your head that there's this little thing this little thing that when it is planted, it produces something multi- multiple times its size. Because he's trying to get them to understand what the kingdom of God is like. And who is he talking to? At this point in time, he's not talking to the multitudes. He's, he's giving them this image that it won't always be thousands. It won't always be the roaring crowds. It might just be a few of you for a while, but trust me, the few of you will change the world. The few of you, if you stay faithful, if you stay committed, you will have an impact that will change the world. What will the church become from 12 ordinary men? Well, we sit in that today. We sit in that today and recognize that it began with just a few. When Jesus called those few out of the multitude and he began to sow into them and to teach them and they gave up everything so that they might spend this time with him. They invested a lot. What measure you meet, they measured a lot. They walked away. They walked away from their boats. They walked away from their nets. They walked away from their tax collecting booths. They walked away from their lives. They gave up a life so that Jesus might give them life. And they stayed faithful to it year after year after year, even until their death. Will you be faithful year after year after year in pursuing after the Lord? Not just showing up, but year after year in going deep. Jesus tells them that the kingdom of God is this, this thing that we're doing, it's starting out small, and that's okay, and that's okay. The Holy Spirit is doing a work. The Father is doing a work. The kingdom will begin to grow. In a few weeks, you'll see something different. It's amazing how these few people, Peter walks out After the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit has come upon him, Peter begins to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and 3,000 people come. 
Jesus does this work. The Holy Spirit does this work. Peter just walked out and began to talk and share of the relationship that he had had with Jesus, the experiences that he had had with Jesus. And others said, hey, I want that too. If you go out, if you go out from here and you share your experiences with Jesus, people will desire him. They will want him. So don't worry about where you started or even where you are now. Some of you are worried about where you are in your life. Oh, I'm just starting out. I don't have all the things that some of my other friends have. I don't have all the things that I see people my age have uh, when I'm looking online. I don't see the things my mom is expecting this of me, my dad is expecting this of me. What is God expecting of you? Live up to his expectations. Put all those other things aside. Don't worry that you're not the greatest Christian in the world right now. Don't worry that you have made mistakes in your past. Don't worry about the mistakes even you made last night. God is not done with you yet. He is still working within you. Are you breathing? Are you here? Are you desirous of him? God is not done with you. Go after that desire, pursue after him, and what you feed will grow. If you decide to feed your flesh and not the Lord and not the spirit that's within you, then your flesh will be strong and your spirit will be weak. That's what he's saying. Your spirit is calling out to him over and over and over again. Your spirit is saying, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, feed me, teach me, allow me to grow. And you're saying, I would much rather do something else. I want to go out with some friends. I want to go get something to eat. I want to go to sleep. I I need to make this money. I need to do something else. The cares of this world choking out the development of your spirit. But God is not done with you yet. You are still here today. And you can still make a choice on this day to cut down those bushes, to cut down those thorns that are choking out your relationship. You can still make a choice today to follow after Jesus. Even if you've never followed after him, he says all you have to do is repent and believe. Turn away from this old life that you have lived and choose to follow him. Recognize that you cannot do this on your own, but that you needed a savior. You needed a mediator to come and, 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 and take you to the throne room of God. And that's what the king does. Amen?